Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. In today's teaching, we ask the question, what does it mean to belong to God's community? Good morning, it's great to be with you all. You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. That's where we're gonna be spending some time today. For if I haven't met you yet, my name is Pastor Nate. I serve along with Scott as one of the pastors here. And if you are newer, I would love a chance to meet you after our gathering today. As Scott already mentioned, that we are in a three-week teaching series. Started last week. I'll be continuing that today. Next week, we'll be concluding that, looking at our covenant partnership as a church. And one of the main questions that we're asking in this series, and I believe Scott asked this in his sermon last week, is who gets to define what your life with Jesus is? looks like. What this series represents for us, and if you have been around for a while, you know this is the second year in a row we're doing this same series. This series represents a new season for us as a church, a new season for us of cleaning up our roles, seeing who actually is part of our covenant family, and what does that mean that we are covenant partners together, walking through a biblical understanding of Jesus's covenant with us and then our covenant as partners together. So last week, Scott kicked us off looking at what is a biblical understanding of covenant. We walked through a couple different examples of covenant throughout the scripture. But last week we landed, Scott showed us how Jesus has brought into covenant relationship with God. But that now is expressed through our covenant relationships with each other. So now, today, we want to ask the question, well, what does that mean in everyday life? What is the logical outworking of the fact that we are in covenant with Jesus? So how are we in covenant with each other? In other words, I want to ask the question, what does it mean to belong? What does it mean to belong to this covenant family specifically? That's what we're going to look at today. And what's interesting is this question isn't necessarily new. It isn't necessarily new, even for the church in America. Many Christians today in America are wrestling through that question. What does it mean to belong to God's family? For many people, specifically in America, following and belonging to Jesus means you can just choose your own adventure. You can choose however you want following Jesus to look like. Has anyone read the Choose Your Own Adventure book series? Anybody read that growing up? Does anybody know when that series came out? I was trying to think, like, I discovered it in like the 80s, 90s. I'm sure it came before that. But in the Choose Your Own Adventure book series, you basically got to narrate your own story. You got to call the shots. You're on, the story would start off with an introduction. You're on this journey trying to find a treasure. You come up to a swamp and it says, don't swim, there's an alligator. But it's really, it's a short swim. So you'd come to a crossroads. Do I swim the lake? Do I try to find another way around? And based on which decision you make, you either made it, got eaten by the alligator, or got lost in the woods. So you got to pick how the story went. I loved these books as a kid. And I faced a similar experience last week. I didn't tell my wife I was going to share this story. But last week we were out in Montana. And Nate had a moment of decision of choose your own adventure, Nate. I, we were staying in this Airbnb in Montana, and I decided one morning I was going to wake up really early and run to the Yellowstone River. 
It's a little jog from our house. So I woke up, it was dark, I had a headlamp on, and I got to the Yellowstone River, and I was like, this is so cool, I should jump in. This headline flashed in my head, young man dies trying to swim early morning in Yellowstone River. I decided not to swim in the Yellowstone River, I just got my hands wet in it instead. But what's amazing about this whole choose-your-own-adventure reality is that we often approach following Jesus in the same way. I can choose whatever I want when it comes to following Jesus. Today, many people claim to follow Jesus, but they often will throw off centuries of church tradition, centuries of understanding what it means to follow Jesus, and instead say, I'm going to do what fits me. I don't really like living in community, so I just won't. I don't like coming to a church gathering on Sunday because that's a great time to do laundry or get brunch. I don't like being asked to serve and love people who are hard to love or serve. So I just don't, I just won't be around them. I don't really like the pastors because they don't care for me in the way I think they should. Or they don't preach on these topics enough. So I'll just go find a church where I like the preaching. I don't really want to be generous with my time or my money. So I'll just choose to not do that. I don't really like opening up. So I'm just going to live by myself and live alone and not ever let anybody into the cracks and crevices of my life and soul. And before you get mad at me for possibly describing you, I'm describing myself. This list comes from my own soul often. And in one sense, I'm describing all of us because all of us in our own way often pick and choose how we think we should follow. Jesus. We pick and choose our own preferences of what we will or will not do. So in one sense, all of us are being addressed in this. And there is the reality that people are in different places in their spiritual journey, different places of maturity as it relates to following Jesus. But the question we want to ask is in our covenant life together, are we actually trying to follow Jesus or are we just taking the path that is most comfortable or most convenient for us? Following Jesus is not a choose-your-own-adventure. Because Jesus, in being part of his covenant family, looks very specific. So today we want to look at some of those things. And what's interesting is that the very first Christians, the very first Christians wrestled with this same question. Again, this is not new to us. Paul, in the book of Philippians, wrote to a group of Christians who were very different. And they were trying to figure out what it means to be part of Jesus' covenant family together. So if you're in Philippians, great. If you're not there yet, you can turn there now. Let me just pray for us, and we're going to jump in. Jesus, thank you for your word, that it is clear, that you have given it to us, your people, and that you speak to us, that you use broken, weak, and often failing people like myself to communicate your truth. Jesus, in that, even in that paradox of grace, I ask that you would meet us today. That you would show us, Jesus, the beauty and the riches of your covenant with us. And that would lead us to want to covenant together with your people. God, I ask for your help. Thank you, God, for how you have already met me this week. 
in this prep. And I pray, God, that you would speak to each of us today through the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Philippians, which as I've already said we're going to be in today, is an amazing book. I would actually encourage you to take some time this week to just sit down and read the book. If you flip through it real quick, it's like three, four pages long. I googled this. It takes the average reader 14 minutes to read the book of Philippians. I would encourage you this week to maybe skip an episode of The Office and just watch and just listen to the book of Philippians. Learning to read the Bible in that way will absolutely change the way you think about the scripture. So plan to do that this week. But in the church in Philippi, there are a lot of differences of opinion of what following Jesus was supposed to look like. There were a lot of different wings and factions of people that thought they were right or they were right on different issues in the church. And they were unwilling to listen to other Christians that they disagreed with. If you don't think for a second that that's not exactly what's happening in the church in America today, then I, I don't know if you're really aware of what's happening today. This is absolutely what's happening in the church today. The church in Philippi had a rich woman who helped found it. It had an ex-Roman soldier working it. It had an ex-magician working for it. Those were all the people that were composing this very diverse church. And they were trying to figure out, how do we do life together as Jesus' people? And one of the most profound things about this book, for me in my study of it, is Paul's introduction of a new word into the Christian vocabulary. He takes this word from the world of commerce and business. It was an everyday Greek word, and he introduces it into the Christian vocabulary of the church of Philippi. A word that primarily had to do with commerce and relationships and people working together to achieve a common goal in everyday life. Paul introduces that word, and it's the Greek word koinonia, which we translate as fellowship. And sadly, often think that means Super Bowl parties and nachos and we get together with Christians. That's what we think fellowship is. But Paul's understanding of koinonia and fellowship is this imagery of oneness, togetherness, partnership, being in some common together, common endeavor together. Have you ever heard of the fellowship of the ring? Sure you have. We're, this is Redemption Church. We try as much as possible to talk about Lord of the Rings. Have you ever thought about the fact that it's called the fellowship of the ring because they were the partnership, the ones together in the endeavor of taking the one ring to mortar. These very diverse people came together, representing all the different races coming together in the Middle Earth world, and they're in a common endeavor. So they are a fellowship. Have you ever heard of a professional fellowship or a business fellowship? We still use this word somewhat today. And Paul, in the book of Philippians, uses this word, this Greek word, six times in his mere couple of chapters. Six times this single word is used. And so what I would like us to do is very quickly look at each of these uses. I would love it if you would circle that word. Again, if you just look for the word fellowship, you're not going to see it there. Because our English Bible translations translate that word differently in different places. But all of it has that root, that koinonia Greek word. So what we're going to do now is we're just going to look at really quickly the Philippian theology of partnership of what is Paul calling them into as partners together in the gospel. So there's going to be this next slide is going to show you 
where all of these uses are. We're just going to briefly walk through each of these. So let's look at the first time he uses this word. In Philippians 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership. So there's the word right now. Partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. As I've already referenced, this word partnership means close relationships. It means a mutual sharing of interests. So Paul is saying to them, you all now have a oneness, a common bond in what though? In the gospel, in the good news message of Jesus. Go a couple of verses later, verse six. Paul writes, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Where is it there? Doesn't say anything about fellowship there. That word, partakers, if you're one of these types of people, circle that in your Bible. Partakers has the same root word for partners. You are all partnering with me. You are all partners in this new realm of grace that we live in together. You are partakers, partners. We are in fellowship together because of the grace of God. Same word there. Let's keep going. Go to Philippians 2, verse 1. Paul writes, So then, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That word participation in the Spirit, circle that. They have a oneness because it is the same Spirit of Jesus who indwells all believers. All of those who would claim allegiance to Jesus as king have that same spirit in them. The spirit gives us that oneness, that partnership, and then he's the one who maintains it. Let's keep going. Go to Philippians 3, verses 8 through 10. Paul writes, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from obeying the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Did you catch it anywhere in there? Did you catch that partnership language anywhere in there? When Paul says that he doesn't have his own righteousness, but he instead shares in Jesus's suffering, that's the word right there. Partner, fellowship, oneness with Jesus in his suffering. And Paul is saying that they now are partners in him because of his suffering in Jesus. Think about how the bond that develops when soldiers go into combat together. I don't know if you've ever no, if you've heard of this reality, if you've talked to veterans or people who've been in combat and warfare together, or even served in the military together, there is a deep kinship that is forged in that type of suffering. 
and that type of fellowship, oneness, partnering together. And Paul is now taking that language saying, I have suffered with Jesus in this way, and you now are entering into that same bond, that same brotherhood with me together. So that word, koinonia, is there again. Go over to Philippians 4. Again, the goal is we're seeing all these usages of this word partnership and seeing how Paul's building out this theology of what this means in their life. Philippians 4, verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secrets of place facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Paul is going, you've probably heard this passage. This is an incredibly often quoted passage. Also probably often quoted out of context. It's okay, still God's word. Paul's talking about how in Jesus, he has endured so much and still will endure so much because of his unity with Jesus. This is amazing. But then verse 14 has this little phrase. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. Kind of a, if you first read that, you thought, let's, Okay, whatever. There's nothing there. There's no theology there. That's not the meat of what he's talking about. Friends, that word, share, is that same word, partner. You partnered with me in my trouble. You were one with me in my trouble. Think about that. How does that change what Paul is actually saying in your mind? At first, that might just be like, well, like a little side comment. It was kind of me to share in my trouble. Thanks, guys. No, no. That verse is primed and loaded in light of what we've already looked at, of what Paul is saying. He's describing these lavish, extreme lengths of knowing that in Jesus, he is sufficient for all things, that Jesus is going to meet Paul and give him endurance and grace to endure all of these things. But how did Paul know that? Because his friends were sharing in his troubles, which meant he knew that God certainly is going to continue to meet me. Paul is saying, it was so good of you to partner with me because his griefs became their griefs, which showed him that God was with him. It was through their partnering with Paul, even in trouble, even in persecution, even in going to prison, it was through their partnership that Jesus strengthened him to keep doing that. Think, I mean, literally, just like, let's just do a quick aside. How do you think Jesus is going to meet you in your suffering, in your struggle? Through your partnership, your life with other people. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. And in the next verse, verse 15, Paul writes that they, the church, were both the first and only church at the time that partnered with him in the gospel. So you can see quick, quick overview of the book of Philippians. It's no stretch of the imagination to see that this idea of oneness, this partnership, this unity, this fellowship is not just deeply ingrained in Paul, but in the very life of what the church is supposed to look like. Again, as Scott showed us last week, God has called us to be a people who are in covenant with him because now he's calling us to be in covenant and partnership together because of this same spirit who has brought us together. So what I want us to do now in our remaining time is let's, let's think through a couple implications that come out of that huge theology of partnership and oneness and fellowship. What does that mean now? 
in our everyday life. We're going to look at four quick things. It means, first off, that our life together is through Jesus and in Jesus. The fact that we have put our hope and faith and allegiance into Jesus, that's the actual thing that makes our life together. We cannot follow Jesus without the people of Jesus. Our life together is possible because of Jesus, but our life together finds its power in Jesus. Think about this. There are probably, I'm not even going to say probably, there are Christians out there that you disagree with on a lot of things. There are people in this room who are Christians who disagree on a lot of things, be it politics, be it COVID stuff, be it racism in America, be it how the gifts of the Spirit are supposed to operate in the life of the church. How much should Christians do or not do certain things? There would be a ton of disagreements if we all knew exactly where every one of us stood on every issue. But how big a deal are those things when you realize that we are partners together through Jesus and in Jesus? That we share the same Spirit as these other people? Is it possible that we could actually live in unity, even with those we would disagree with, even if they vote on the other side of the aisle from us? Even if they follow Jesus in some different ways than you do? This doesn't mean that we don't need wisdom and diligence and, and good conversation and even disagreement together. But church, this directly ties into, well then, how are the people of Jesus supposed to be coming from all different places, all different races, all different types of people coming together? The reason we can do this life together is definitely by the power of the Spirit who is in us. But Jesus has set it up this way because this directly ties into how the church gives witness to Jesus. I want you to think about this. The fact that the church is made up of such a diverse group of people that are all very different, but find unity and oneness in their allegiance to Jesus. That is what forms the greatest single witness that the story of God is real and that Jesus actually walked out of a grave. So our second point is that the church's communion and life together is what actually gives it a witness, a missional witness in the world. It is through our allegiance to Jesus and our life together that the world will see that Jesus is king. Maybe you're already pushing back on this. I'm going to walk through this with you. John 13, Jesus says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you are the disciples of the king, if you love one another. Jesus prays to the Father, I am in them and you are in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Peter, in his first letter in chapter 2, writes, Live among the pagans in such a way that though they might accuse you of certain things, they will see your good deeds. They will see your life together. And glorify God. So you see, it is through our life together that we form our collective witness to the world. That it's shown that we can live in harmony even with people we would disagree with, even with people who are hard to love. 
a group of people committed not just to come together on a Sunday morning, but committed to live in harmony in life together. That is how we will show the world that Jesus is actually king. But think about all the other ways that the church shows Jesus king. Think about loving people who are poor. Think about understanding culture and being able to articulate the truths of the gospel in a culture that is very distant from the gospel. Think about being people who can articulate the truths of the Bible to atheists. Think about all these ways that we're supposed to be generous and loving. Aren't all those ways that we show the good news of Jesus? Absolutely. Think about all the things that we do as Christians. That we fight to be sexually pure. We fight to study our Bibles. We fight to love our families well. Aren't all those things important? Absolutely they all are. But what is the single most primary way that the New Testament shows that we demonstrate to the world the fact that Jesus is actually king? It's our communal life together. That is the single greatest witness that we can give. That is how we will form our missional witness together. So then, what does this mean about life in the church? This means the church is more than just a social club. And some of you might need to hear this today. The church is not just intended to meet your needs. It's not just supposed to be a collection of people who are just like you. If you want that kind of a membership, a gym, a club, there you will find people just like you. It's often interesting when you go to a gym or a club or some type of event, you're like, man, I just love these people so much. No, duh, they're just like you. And you love yourself a lot. The church is very different. The church does not attract people who are all the exact same type of people. The church is not intended to be a group of very similarly all like-minded people. No, if you think about it, the church is a group of people who should normally be enemies, who are brought together because of the blood of Jesus. The New Testament makes that abundantly clear. You were once enemies, Jews, Gentiles. They did not get along. Those are the people coming together, forming witness together. So church is more than a social club. And that's why, if you even think about it, last year, Scott and I made the point that we've actually chose to move away from the language of membership at Redemption Church. It's still fine if other churches use the word membership. But membership often can connote certain rights, privileges, access, things that you get to do because you're a member. No, no. We're partners together. So that's why we're calling you into our covenant life together as partners with us. When you sign, if you sign our church covenant, you are a partner with us together in the good news of Jesus. Let's look at our last point. We are in covenantal communion with one another. God has chosen to relate to us through covenant, through a relationship with us that informs how we will do our life together. This means that our relationship with Jesus through his covenant with us directly connects our covenant with each other. So this is the last thing I want to talk about today. I want us to realize that we will never, ever grow as a church if we hold on to our ideals of community. 
versus the actual reality of community. I want you to think about this. The simple reality is that we all approach a church and our relationships with expectations, ideals of what we want, of what we think is most important for a church. Maybe you just want a simple church service, but don't ask me to do too much. Maybe you want easy relationships or some nice Bible studies to go to. Maybe you want really good worship and singing times or really good preaching every week, and those are all important things. Maybe you want a church that focuses on community and reaching out in the city in a certain kind of way. Those are all really good things. But are you willing to recognize that your preferred ideals might not actually be what true community is about? For Redemption Church to grow and flourish, we all, including Scott and myself, must be willing to allow our ideals to be shattered. Maybe you're already fighting me. Keep listening. What are your ideals of what missional community life should be like? What are your ideals of what a Sunday gathering is supposed to be looking like? What are your ideals of how the church should be studying the Bible together? What are your ideals for how we're supposed to be living life in our neighborhoods together? What are your ideals for how your family and your own preferred structures is supposed to relate to the life of the church? I've lost count of how many people have come and left our church because their preferences and ideals were not met. I've lost count, and I've been a pastor for three years. I couldn't tell you the number of people. Which means I'm realizing more and more as a pastor, and I'm not saying that people can't leave our church and go to other churches, but how often people do that just because, well, I didn't like this. That means, though, that our future as a church depends on if we are willing to grab hold of what the Scripture calls us to, or will we just simply sit with our ideals and our preferences. There was a pastor back in the 1940s who wrote about this. This was a pastor living in a very difficult context of calling the church to life together when there was a lot of persecution. Listen to what this pastor wrote. This is a longer quote, but hang with me. I'd encourage you to just listen or read it, and I can send it to you later if you want to think through it some more. This pastor writes, innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it's sprung up from a wish dream. The serious Christian, he gets set down for the very first time in a Christian community. He's likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what he thinks the church is supposed to be like with life together, what it should be, and he tries to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such a dream. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. Pause right there. If right now you're currently frustrated about how life with others is going, God's grace is breaking in. He does not abandon us to those rapturous experiences and lofty moods that come over us like a dream. For those of you who have been in our church for a while, you kind of know about Soma, our family of churches. If you've ever seen like a Soma video. It's like showing these churches, life in the city, young, lovely children tending a garden, and the poor being served. It's like, oh, the kingdom has come. Friends, if we try to live like that, and that's our goal, we're going to be frustrated over and over again. 
God does not abandon us to these rapturous experiences. God is not a God of the emotions, but the God of truth. Only that fellowship of Christians which faces that disillusionment with all of its unhappy and ugly aspects begin to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. Pause again. Has it happened to you yet? If COVID hasn't wrecked your reality of what you think church and relationship is supposed to be like, well, you are a strong Christian friend. COVID destroyed what I thought life and relationships was supposed to look like. Absolutely wrecked it which is completely now making me rethink, well, what was COVID actually doing? It was wrecking and shattering my ideals and preferences. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis of disillusionment, which insists upon keeping its illusion when it should be shattered, they will permanently lose in that moment the promise of Christian community. Sooner or later, it will collapse. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and beneficial. You ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? German pastor, 1940s, Nazis pressing in. He fought to preserve the truths of the gospel, calling people together from prison writing letters to the churches. Does this not sound so similar to Paul, whose letter to the church in Philippi we've been already going through today? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was killed because of his commitment to Jesus and to showing the church what life was supposed to be like. If you'd like this quote, I can send it to you later. I know it's a lot, but thank you for bearing through that. Hopefully it's convicting you as much as it has wrecked me. So church, where are you disappointed? Where has Redemption Church failed you? I'm not even saying this like mocking. Like, Where has the church legitimately failed you? Where have relationships with people failed you? Where has your missional community failed you? Where have Scott and I personally failed, disappointed, maybe even hurt you? Where fill in the blank for your life? Now that we recognize that, are you willing to ask, what are my ideals? What are my preferences? Am I willing to keep pressing into real life with people? Am I willing to say, I have my ideals, but what is the purpose of this community if I'm not willing to stand and labor alongside with it? Are you willing to lay aside your own choose your own adventure to follow Jesus and actually realize that maybe the Spirit's calling you to partner with us here in following Jesus together. As Scott already mentioned, next week we're going to have covenants available for those of you who would like to sign our church covenant to be a partner with us together. Even if you signed it last year or had previously signed it, we're asking you to sign it again because every year we are going to be signing our church covenant together. Every year is going to be a fresh opportunity to say, yes, this is what life together looks like. And yes, this is what I, to the best of my ability, that the spirit is working in me. Yes, I want to do this. So that's why we ask you to sign the covenant every year. And that's why if you are already a covenant partner with us, 
we're going to ask you to sign it again next week or in the coming weeks. And that's why if you're newer, and maybe this is all new to you, we're having a foundations class, a class for new folks that want to jump in and hear more about our theology. That's what we would ask you to do. That's part of our covenant process together. So I'm going to close now by making you a promise as a pastor, but really not even as a pastor, more as a friend, as someone who has been in the church for a while, this church and other churches, I want to promise you, this is a real promise, that if you show up consistently, not just on a Sunday, but show up in the life of people, that if you show up consistently, and if you seek to love other people well, you will grow. And not only will you grow, you will get every single thing out of Redemption Church that you want. I promise you that if you show up consistently within our gatherings, within the life of your missional community, within the life of others, and if you seek to love people well, you will get everything you want out of Redemption Church. Maybe for you, you need spiritual growth. Maybe you need friendship. Maybe you need a better understanding of the life that Jesus calls us to. Maybe you need a lot of help in life. You will get all of that by showing up and loving people well. But I also promise you that if you don't show up in those areas, you will not grow in loving Jesus. You will not grow in knowing who Jesus has called you to be in his story. But you will grow in judging Redemption Church. You will grow in regularly being frustrated with people. You will grow in regularly seeing all the ways the church has failed to meet your needs. Friends, you need church. And the church needs you. So are you willing to consider partnering with us here at Redemption Church and finding your place in Jesus' story and mission here? Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.